course, he knew everybody. I mean, anybody that came down the street, he would say, oh, so you're Michael's mom. I was never Muriel or anything. I was always Michael's mom. <laughs> everybody did. <knew. laughs> And then uh, when there was uh, quite a bit of money collected, what did he do with that? Well, he had his money and he could do whatever he wanted with it. And one of the things he did is uh, he wanted me to go out to the nursery with him. And he said, I think I think we should buy an orange tree. Um, so we, he bought an orange tree for me. At the time thinking, hmm, I could add oranges to my red, little red wagon, you know. So. And, and more money. And more money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very, very smart. Aloha, beautiful, uh, amazing adventurers on the other side of the screen. My name is Krista Ralaxmidetten and coming to you today from beautiful Palm Desert. And we are really in the valley of the desert where summers mean very hot weather and it's around like 112 Fahrenheit outside almost every day and if you go into the pool it's like stepping into the warm soup so <laughs> that's the experience and it's very special why we are here today because we are actually visiting Michael's mom Muriel Pearson and Muriel will actually be here today to share the amazing story. And she actually has many stories. So I'm here to help her navigate and guide and also capture those amazing uh, stories. So, so here we go. Uh, welcome, Muriel. Thank you. When uh, we sat down, um, that was like, I think a little like over a month ago, um, and you started to talk about how you grew up. Um, it was really cool because so many of the things which you shared it's so similar to how I grew up uh, back in mm -hmm. Estonia. Mm -hmm. So can you tell a story like what was the family like? Where were you born? Um, what was that lifestyle like? Because that's like so fascinating for me to hear. Well, I was born in Newfoundland, Canada, and I was the last of a large family. I'm number 12. I was an oops baby which meant my mother figured 11 was all she was going to have. But then um, long come, you know, the best always comes last. So along I came and I, I'm told I was spoiled because um, my youngest brother was six years older than I was. And next to him was my sister who was eight years old. So I pretty much grew up with just the two of them and not a large family. But the large family, of course, got together on holidays and whatnot. So uh, we were in a, a big house. On uh, my my dad owned about a hundred acres. Um, part of it was cleared, and a lot of it was just forest. Uh, we had plenty of uh, heat from all the the wood because he would go out and chop down the little uh, trees and make sure that the other ones had room to grow. So there was always lots of wood piled up, and we did uh, have wood stoves. Uh, we had a little potbelly stove you know, in the hallways and going up the stairways. Uh, it was a two-story house and we had six bedrooms upstairs, large, big kitchen um, where we all sat around a big table and um, we sat around uh, to eat. And of course, um, more, more than uh, often, most often, it was um, not just us. It was always some of my brother's friends. And um, he was, as I said, six years older. So he had uh, two uh, particular friends that liked to come visit because they always knew that mom was cooking 
and she always she never could cook for four or five people so she always cooked lots of food so they knew there would be lots of foods on the table so um and then uh, if it was a cold winter night uh, we would be playing cards uh, until the wee hours and my dad was really good at, at telling uh, ghost stories and that part of the country there was uh, lots and lots of uh, stories told about the man of war which was the french and uh, it's kind of like, I guess, a harbor patrol type thing. Uh, and they were um, primarily looking for pirates because pirates were really big those days. They would, um, you know, um, sail around anywhere they could. And they knew how to get into little bays. They knew everything about the bays. And I lived uh, right on the ocean and it was a bay. So um, they would apparently um, the uh, man wars would be looking for them and they would come in a little bay hours and uh, they would apparently bury their treasure. And uh, my dad would always say, but you know, they had a special way of burying the treasure because uh, one of the crew had to go with the treasure to guard it. So they would put his body on top of the treasure and uh, and then if you happen to be lucky enough to find a map somewhere sometime and you found this treasure, you had to go through him to get through the treasure. So there was lots and lots of ghost stories. And my two my brother's uh, friends would be scared to go home at night because there, there was no street tops or anything. It was just in the country. You know, so and we had lots of fun with them trying to figure, you know, what route they were going to take home that mm -hmm. would be the lightest and less likely to run into any of the ghosts from being buried. So. Yeah, and so those who don't know much of Canada, so uh, what part of Canada is? Eastern. Yeah, Eastern. As far east as you can go mm -hmm. without falling off. Yeah, yeah, good. And can you tell now a little more, how was that lifestyle like, you know, um, how was food grown? What what was happening in, you know, everyday life? Um, how did you support your parents also? Because so much of that was done by hands and like as much as you could um, in your own like ways. So yeah, we, we did grow all of our own fruits and vegetables. We had many, many fruit trees and um, we planted the vegetables um, to grow in the short period of time which were mostly root vegetables. We did plant some other things too, like squash and whatnot, but um, it was mostly um, hardy vegetables. We planted lots and lots of potatoes and uh, my parents sold a lot of those that um, were not needed for seed the next year. And we had about three, four different kinds of potatoes. One that we uh, seemed to do more than the others, and we sold those. Now, those are the kind that you get in grocery stores nowadays. But then we had the little blue ones, and we used to call them blue nosers. And quite frankly, um, another part of Canada, are, they're referred to as blue nosers, the people that live there. But we were mackerel snappers because uh, we were fisher, fisher farmers, fishermen farmers. And uh, my dad um, had cleared a lot of the land and we had lots and lots of fields for hay and grazing like for the cattle and sheep. We had a lot of cattle, a lot of sheep. We had our own pigs. My mother had her own chickens and they, they all came when she even just all she had to do was say type thing. And they all came running to her and she would give them their food. And then before dark, of course, she had to put them in her pen because we did have wild animals. Uh, our properties were fenced for the animals. 
but there was a lot of property that we owned, 100 acres that was not fenced, of course. So, um, and we grew um, our own, like I said, my, our own hay uh, for the animals. And, uh, oh, we had our horse, which um, w- uh, that was necessary to um, pull the plow. I mean, we're talking about the 40s now, okay? Mm-hmm. You know? And so um, the plow was our means of planting the potatoes. And everybody, no matter how young, and I can remember from the time I can, you know, little, that I was out there planting potatoes and, and digging the potatoes and making the hay with everybody else. And then, of course, my um, brother's friends were always coming around because the guys sometimes made homemade beer and put it, you know, it was in the cellar. And, of course, mom's cooking and all fresh vegetables and everything. So they would come and uh, help with the haymaking or whatever we were doing, you know, and so that was kind of, that was kind of neat too. But there was basically um, a family thing. And um, if you needed extra help, there was, you know, my, I had one uncle that lived there, but there was always people that would help you. Everybody kind of pitched in. Like if you, mm-hmm. you know, needed a plumber, there was somebody that, you know, lived and, and um, did plumbing. And then if they needed you know, one of your machines or something, they came and borrowed your machines. You know, it was kind of like mm-hmm. that, you know, the old the old days. And you also did your own butter and cheese. We, and- we churned our own butter, yes, and uh, we made our own cheese. And um, even um, in the later years, uh, we even made our own ice cream. But that was, you know, later with churn with, the, you know, mm-hmm. lots of manpower there. Anyway. So how did it happen right now? You're living here in, like, Springs so like how did it happen like I know there are lots of spots but how did you actually even came to the idea to leave Canada well that wasn't too hard uh, as far as you know because a lot of people the young people would leave and go to the cities. you know the cities were a big draw and uh, there was Montreal at the time and there was also Toronto although at that time Toronto was much smaller Montreal was the place to go um, if you didn't want to go that far, like my dad and my brothers uh, would go uh, when they were not fishing. And uh, one of my brother-in-laws uh, was the captain of a large fishing boat, like a hundred footer. And so a lot of the uh, uh, his kids and, and you know, uh, relatives, our relatives, anybody that wanted to go fishing on his big boat, of course, did. And then everybody had their own small boats where they went fishing. And when it wasn't fishing time, uh, we could go to the city, which was about a half an hour away. And uh, they, there was a large paper mill by Bullwaters and Company. And they were what my dad called the Limeys. They were English and he wasn't too crazy about them. But anyway, <laughs> damn Limeys. <laughs> anyway, um, but all the, the men usually ended up uh, going there when they were not fishing. Uh, which was primarily, you know, in the winter time when the when it was cold, um, and there was lots and lots of different fish, lobster in the spring, which I loved. And uh, my dad had a cannery, and he had other people uh, fishing for him. From, um, he owned the pots and, and uh, the lobster pots that you put down, and um, the dories and whatnot. And then um, we um, there was a on our on our little cove on the beach. There was a, what well, we had a little cannery and uh, we canned um, by very, very um, 
old-fashioned cranking type, you know, thing to, to uh, seal the cans. And uh, we had a buyer in Gosco somewhere, I think it was, that um, my dad could never supply it as much as he wanted. So we did things like that to bring in some extra money. And then, and of course, we killed off, um, you know, some of the bulls uh, and, uh, and sold the meat. And the same with the, the, the lambs. And then uh, we usually just had a couple of pigs for ourselves. Um, and we butchered them in the fall, always fall when the, it was getting cold and you could hang the meat and didn't spoil. Um, we also uh, had the, the um, lots and lots of sheep and my mother, um, we, we shared the sheep and then my mother would card it and spin it and make our socks and, and um, sweaters and caps. And, and um, she had a place in Nova Scotia where she would send the wool and they would make the wool and blankets and I still have the woolen blankets. When you ever find you've got a place where you don't have to move every couple of years, you can have some woolen blankets that came from the sheep wow. on the island. Yeah. So, but how did you end up like like leaving Canada? When, when did well, that, like thought come? I was teaching school, and um, after three years, I decided um, I I didn't I loved the kids, but it was the parents that I didn't like because they wanted to do it their way and I wanted to do it my way, which meant I wanted discipline and I wanted, you know, the, the, uh, the uh, there's always a few troublemakers, but there was more than a few sometimes. So I decided, and it was, uh, it was a little country school and you, I had uh, three or four different grades, you know, the different, uh, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes I, uh, it was the kindergarten type and sometimes it was, you know, the intermediate, but um if you had a classroom, you had three or four different grades and you taught all the subjects. And, it was, you know, there's a lot of kids, 30, 40 kids. In, uh, that was so, where in like your village? Or, yeah, yeah, actually part of one, one year I, I did it in my little village and another year was a little village about a half an hour away, you know. And I, I did it for three years and that would kind of... Uh, I don't do that anymore. So what happened then? So I just, how, how did it like start to evolve? I, I don't know. I just um, uh, some of my elder sisters uh, had gone to Montreal, and uh, they had gotten married, and we were living in other provinces like Ontario, for instance, um, had some of them, and so they they went there to live. So I thought hmm, they could go, I could go. So I did. I told my mom I wasn't very old, and uh, she didn't have a heart attack, <laughs> but uh, anyway, she never kept me back. I mean, you know, she was mm -hmm. all for it. She, I'm sure she, as the Catholics would say, I'm sure she had bloody knees praying for me, mm -hmm. but anyway. So, and then you I went said, to the city. Yeah, so you, you said you had like very special connection with your, one of your sisters. Yeah, she, um, I had two sisters that were close by. One was up in the Laurentians in the ski area. So I would go visit her and her husband owned a, a um, garage, you know, he um, repaired cars. And then the other sister was actually in the United States and she was living in a little town called Nunti and that was just outside of uh, um, Detroit mm -hmm. in the suburbs, mm -hmm. way, way out in the suburbs of Detroit, not close to the city, but I would fly into Detroit. 
and uh, I would go to visit her when I could. And she she was the oldest sister, and I was the youngest. So she was the first sister, and I was the seventh sister. And we had a special bond. It was just I don't know. It was just born in us. You know, we kind of had that um, feeling if one of us was having trouble, the other one would call and say, "Hey, sis, you know what's going on? What's what's happening?" So we had a very special bond. That's really cool to have people like that yeah. in your life, right? Yeah. And then what happened next? Well, um, I um, I don't know why why I uh, decided to go to the Caribbean, but somebody was talking about the Caribbean, and it was winter in Montreal, and it's it's like New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, New cool. York is exact same temperature. You know, New Yorkers came down to Montreal, and the Montrealers went up to New York, you know, to to get away from for the weekend or whatnot. So New York was very close. Anyway, um, somebody was talking about a cruise and talked about how, how wonderful it was in the Caribbean, or the Caribbean, as some people call it. So I was talking to a girl that worked for the same company I was, and I said, what do you think? And she said, hey, sounds good. So we made plans to go on uh, a cruise. And so we did. We, we went on a two-week cruise in the Caribbean. And of course, we had to go out of New York. What year was and, that, do you remember? That was oh yeah I do remember because it, it would have been sixty uh, one uh, because I left that year a little bit later after I got back I left you know and, and uh, I came here in sixty two to the United States I did go and I loved it and um, I liked to dance at the time and I was uh, I was doing ballroom dancing I, I taught ballroom dancing at night for fun that was my fun money that was my cruise money because living in the city. Um, it was very expensive, even though you had roommates and whatnot. Um, you you didn't do much else on your salary except just live, you know. So that was my fun money, and so I decided to use my cruise, my dancing money, and I would do exhibitions. I had a, a partner, and uh, there were some exhibitions that I would do, and, and uh, they paid very very well. And again, that was, you know, extra money for. Or whatever you wanted and so I decided to, to go on this cruise and on this cruise there was a gentleman that loved to dance and we kind of headed, headed you know together I mean he asked me to dance and I danced of course and and everybody cleared the floor and made room for us and they were clapping and everything so he wanted to do it again and and so every night we were kind of the exhibitionists not from choice just because we were kind of pushed into that and before I left um, the um, social director wanted me to stay on and I had a, a very good job back in Montreal and was very very um, you know I, I, I was a manager and um, good pay and, and whatnot and I had my apartment up on the 11th floor you know and I had a lot of friends I had about 40 or 50 friends of United Nations I had friends from every nation and um, I, I thought no I don't want to do that well anyway I got off the, the ship in uh, New York, and I'm, why am I coming back here? I mean, it was cold, and the wind was blowing, and you know, it was freezing, freezing cold, and I just spent two two weeks, you know, in the Caribbean, so I thought, this is stupid. Why didn't I just stay on the ship? But it was too late, and I, you know, the ship was on its way, going somewhere else. So uh, the next day or the day after, I thought, I don't need to spend another winter here. I'm going to go to the Canadian consulate 
and I'm going to get a green card and I'm going to go to um, uh, Santa Barbara, California. And the reason I, I picked that area was because one of my pupils, he was a retired professor from McGill University, and he used to take me into his private club, which you couldn't go unless you were invited by one of the professors, who that's where he lived. And um, he used to show me uh, pictures of his wife, and they had honeymoon in Santa Barbara, and he would show me all these beautiful pictures and everything, and uh, tell me, you know, where I should go when I go to Santa Barbara. Not if I should go, but when I go to Santa Barbara. For some reason or other, he knew I was good. So anyway, that was that was it. I came back and I went and, and I had luck was on my side. I was meant to come to Santa Barbara um, because my uh, I'd taken out um, I called Marvell, which is the telephone company and uh, where I had the um, job. And I had taken out um, the max every paycheck of, uh, of the Marvell um, shares. And it just so happened that they had split and doubled. So I got doubled my money. So I didn't have to worry about spending money, although I had been saving. Um, so anyway, um, they were very happy to let me in, you know. And I had um, a promise of a job in San Francisco if I wanted it, you know, with the, and with the telephone company. And uh, anyway, I was, and there was um, another couple, English couple actually, that was rooming on the same floor that I was on the 11th floor in the building where I was in downtown Montreal. So did you go to San Francisco then or what happened? Well, they, they were going to Los Angeles and um, I was paying, I was going to help them pay their, uh, all their expenses, you know, gas and whatnot. And so when we got to um, Santa Barbara, I decided, um, no, excuse me, we got to San Francisco first. And, uh, and I decided uh, that was where my job was. And I decided, no, I'm going to go on to Santa Barbara because they were going to Santa Barbara to go to. He had a business. He was a physicist and he had a business uh, meeting in Los Angeles. So I decided to go on and um, I drove in. They drove into, you know, I was driving with them, they drove into Santa Barbara and I said, yeah, this is this is what I thought California would be like, not San Francisco, because San Francisco was raining and cold and I was escaping the cold. And so there went my job. So I figured, well, I can find a job. So anyway, so I then you got they to, went on and I stayed. Yeah. So you got into Santa Barbara. And so how was the process of the green card then? Like, Well, if you had... Um, a, a career, which mm -hmm. I did, you know, uh, with with the Bell Telephone, that was, you know, a, a star in my you know, type thing, and uh, I had the money in the bank, uh, and at that time it was not easy to um, get in unless you had some cash and also a, a promise of a job, um, but it was a lot easier than it is now, of course, you know. We, we didn't have uh, the big problems that we have now, but um, I didn't have any problem. I was, I, I got my um, green card and I packed up, I gave away all my furniture and um, my, my friends all had a uh, farewell party for me. And the, the night uh, they were um, giving me, a, a happened to be uh, at the time, I left my heart in San Francisco was the main song it was a new song so 
I thought, well, yeah, I'm going to San Francisco. Okay. So anyway. And then you got to Santa Barbara and you had some really fun stuff in the beginning happening there. What, what was going on? Well, um, I, I decided um, I didn't want to work for a belt, the belt company anymore. And when I was younger, I decided that I would uh, want to be a nurse and then got sidetracked and went into teaching instead. And so I decided, mm, I think I'll be a nurse. And so I got a part-time job. And I enrolled in a nursing program, and uh, I went to work for the lab uh, gentleman that did all the um, lab work for the surgeries the next day. And so, like his name was, and he was from some foreign country, but he spoke enough so I can understand him. He was very intelligent and uh, fun to work for. So when I wasn't studying. Um, my books for the next day's class. I was helping him with his lab work. And um, when I got through with that, then I went home and finished uh, all my homework or whatever I had to do for my next day's class. And then I would spend the whole day in class. And after class, I would come there and work for him. And that that's the way it was. I, that's how I paid my... Mm. And how, how did you... You had some amazing story, like how you found a place where to stay and you had some girls there. Like... Well, where I worked, um, there one of the lab technicians came in to me, um, Sue, and she said, oh, you're new here. And uh, everybody was very friendly there. And coming from the city, it was like, you know, somebody talked to you. You'd say, well, you know, what do they want? You know, mm -hmm. I mean, you were always suspicious. So and I'm, I'm like, you know, yeah, you know, what's it to you kind of thing. <laughs> But she said, oh, I'm looking for a new roommate. She said, my roommate, um, you know, had, I don't know, left or had to go somewhere. somewhere and I'm looking for a new roommate. Uh, well, how about if we room together? And it wasn't very far from the hospital. I could walk to the hospital. I didn't have a car, obviously. And um, I had given everything away except uh, everything I put in a big, big steamer trunk. You know, the kind that you see when people were traveling back then. And... Uh, all my personal stuff and, and everything that I couldn't get my suitcase in the car and uh, I had um, has had somebody ship it to me Santa Barbara because that's where I was going to be and uh, I love Santa Barbara from first sight I mean I thought oh, this is it I'm going to spend the rest of my life there so I almost did but anyway that's how um, we got started yeah and then you had like you said like group of girls you were like very active together. Well, in Montreal, my place was the party place, and everybody um, brought their own booze. And uh, the girls, the, the guys would bring the booze, and the girls would bring some food. And uh, we just sat around on the floor, because it was a small apartment, just a, one bedroom with a, with a sleeper bed, you know, so it was three of us. Because back then, it was even like um, 50, uh, $150, and that was like, we were only getting maybe you know, three times that amount. So you had to have roommates, otherwise you couldn't survive. I mean, it's still the same now. I mean, mm. but. But in Santa Barbara, you said, so you had that lady, you shared the room. Uh -huh, I and shared then, the room and I could walk to work. And then you said there were some other girls who you were hanging around or having well, fun time. Well, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a social person and um, I'm a party person, I guess you might say. So because, like I said, my place was a party place all the time. And so I, I was renting this place and my mom came to visit, of course. And then uh, they all thought my mom was great because when I was working and going to school, which I was both, 
um, they would come over and visit with my mom, especially the guys. Everybody called their mom, you know, and uh, she would always cook enough food for, you know, a dozen people because that's what she was used to. <laughs> and so they knew that when they visited with mom, she'd be sitting there doing her knitting and they'd be drinking their wine. They all brought their wine. You know, everybody brought their own booze, you know, wine or beer or whatever. And uh, so they were entertaining her and she was being, uh, you know, the, ho the host with the most. And then when Muriel came in, of course, oh, would you like to join us for dinner? And of course, nobody mm -hmm. said no. And so we partied, you know, a little bit. I mean, not a lot because I had to be up early and be on, you know, in class. But um, we had wine. They especially had wine. I mean, um, but she loved it. I mean, because she was very social. She had a good time telling everybody all her stories. And uh, the only thing was she, she told me one day and she said, I don't know, Muriel, I feel really bad about, you know, uh, in, the, in the morning taking the trash out. And I said, Mom. What do you mean? Because we had to, I'm, I'm, it was a one story type thing. And she had to go by all these apartments with the windows, you know, looking out on the walkway. And everybody would be sitting there at their table having breakfast or something. And they would see her carrying all these bottles out. And she was, she was a non-drinker, by the way. And she was, oh, I feel so bad taking all these wine bottles and beer bottles. What do people think? I said, I don't know, they're maybe wishing they were having as much as fun as we are, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so um, you are in your like early blossoming years. What about dating? How was that uh, coming uh, about? I, I dated when I had time, but mainly I, I really wasn't interested in dating. I wasn't interested in having a boyfriend. I had one in Montreal and we went out every Saturday night. And the rest of the time I was busy teaching dancing. Saturday night was the only night that we didn't teach dancing and we 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 taught dancing until 10 o'clock and then we had our favorite nightclub. We went out um, to dance and uh, what was really cool about that was uh, if we got up on the floor and gave them a little exhibition type thing, they would give us a free drink and all I ever had was one drink. I had to walk home and then get in bed and you know go to sleep and get up in the morning. I was burning the candle of both ends, as I say. So anyway, uh, that would, you know, that would be our night, every night. Uh, mm -hmm. Oh, I, I, I ate, um, I had a, a favorite little place in St. Catherine Street. And if you sat there long enough, they, they uh, the waiter knew me um, and I had a little window table. And if you sat there long enough, if, if there was anybody in the city that knew you, you would see them going by. And it was that kind of little restaurant. So I would sit there and watch people going by and eat something on my way to dancing mm -hmm. after I changed my clothes and got into my dancing clothes, you know, my dancing shoes. Yeah. And then what happened in Santa Barbara? You you had one man approaching you. Yeah. Yeah. He was, um, I didn't like him. I wasn't interested in men, but all of my friends, including my mom, he, he was pretty smart. He would bring me roses every day because I love flowers even back then. And, uh, he would bring me flowers and he would sit on the step and wait for me to come home if I, you know, after my mom left. But anyway, when my mom was there, he would come in and keep her company. And so everybody said, you should, you should marry this guy. You know, he's got to be kidding. Me. I'm not going to get married. You know? I have no intention of getting married. I'm going to be travel all over the world. I'm going to have a, a career and I'm going to be, you know, free and foot, foot loose and free, I guess they say mm -hmm. something like that. Anyway, but they talked me into it. 
So, mm. and then what happened next? I ended up with two beautiful children. Yeah. One that you happen to be married to. Yeah. His name is Michael. Yes. And he's a rascal. <laughs> he's so, always been a rascal. So tell me about. What a good rascal. Yeah. So tell me about. Um, so now you are getting married, settling. You had Michael actually showed me that uh, house where you spent the most of the childhood years, and he told me. And we actually, there was a lady there who actually showed us the yeah. garden area and so on. So was, I got. There was no garden area when I moved in. I planted yeah, all the trees so, and all the berries. And, yeah. So how how were those years there? What did you love most about it? And and then you can of course say also how was yeah. like growing, like raising Michael and Jennifer also. Well, before I married, um, I had the um, I was um, involved. Uh, with a church group and and they just happened to be called a, we decided to call them the companions for whatever reason my name was companions but you know they decided that was going to be. so we had um, and it it started off that i said well we can we can all meet you know at my place and everybody should bring a boy or a girl and they have to be you know nice no you know uh, no um, offbeat people, you know, nice, nicely dressed and, and bring their own booze and everything. That was, you know, so anyway, the first party uh, we had, uh, believe it or not, we had 20 men and 20 women, mm. which is kind of unbelievable. But anyway, and, and within that group, and that's where I met Doug, of course, and he had just started working at the Biltmore which was beautiful hotel in Santa Barbara, built, Santa Barbara Biltmore, and still it's, there. it's uh, Four Seasons four now, seasons. there right yeah, now. Four seasons mm-hmm. now. But it was, it had a much higher rating than Five Star. It had a, a special rating, and I can't remember what the name of it was, but at that time there was only about 12 in the country that had this special rating. And it was privately owned. Mm-hmm. And he died, unfortunately. And then the, the big guys came in and took it over and changed it, but he was a manager there. Um, and so that's uh, my friend that was part of this um, Catholic group that I said, let's let, let's get a, a group together. And then we have, you know, we go out and have parties and we can go to movies together. And, you know, so we had about, I would say, uh, 25, 30 people, you know, all singles, all about the same age. And um, he wasn't Catholic, and but we didn't, we didn't say you had to be Catholic, just that you... You know, and I stay dressed and you behave yourself. Mm-hmm. If you didn't behave yourself, you got in big trouble. And so, um, so soon you got pregnant. So Jennifer was born first, right? No, 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 Michael. Michael. Okay. Yeah. So I have it all upside down. <laughs> okay, I got so married Michael. in June yeah, of, so of 65 and Michael was born in August of 68. Mm-hmm. 66, 66, excuse yeah, me, 66, 66 yeah. and then, uh, yeah, and then so, uh, which is, I guess, like 18 months later or something. Anyway, um, again, I, I had no intentions of, you know, raising kids. I was finished with my nursing. I decided, you know, I had um, graduated from nursing, and I was working in the hospital, and um, then M- Michael came along, and my mom came to visit, because he was born in August, and when she came to visit, it would always be in the fall because she would not leave home you know mm-hmm. as long as it was spring or summer mm-hmm. you know she loved it you know where she where we were living and uh, so she came to stay with me 
And so I did go back to work for a little while while she stayed there. And uh, but mostly, um, Doug didn't want me to work, and I was happy with that. I stayed at home, and I was a mother, and I worked when I could. When mom came to visit, I would work at the hospitals or something, you know, the private doctor or whatever. So I've seen the pictures of uh, the little Michael with like uh, big brown eyes, the longest eyelashes I think mm-hmm. on the planet. Always, uh, so, yeah. All of his teachers would say, "Oh, oh, the the girls, oh, the girls are gonna love you." Yeah. Yeah. And then um, when we were actually just passing by Santa Barbara so some years ago, we actually happened to meet some of the people who still lived, lived there. So yeah, they, quite a few. Yeah, they yeah. still remembered Michael. Um, and so tell me about um, what happened with that red wagon and Michael. So, Well, um, I, I planted and grew a lot of stuff. And I grew enough for the neighborhood and then some, you know, I mean, I just love to grow things, you know, and give it away. And we ate and, or I canned, you know, made jam or whatever, you know, with everything that I grew. And uh, there's only so much uh, zucchini bread and, and, uh, and jam and that that you can give away at Christmas time. I always made big baskets for all my friends. That was Christmas presents, you know, and I made zucchini bread and froze it because uh, zucchinis grow when you blink, you know, they grow. Um, from little to big, and so um, that was that was what I did. I stayed home, and uh, sometimes uh, when Jennifer was little, I would take in a little girl for company for her, as Michael was already in school, three years older, exactly three. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were both born in August, three years apart. Uh, so anyway, I you know I was happy uh, just being a mother and you know doing all my. Um, planting and everything. And I planted all kinds of fruit trees. I mean, I must have had 10, 15 fruit trees, you know, everything that we like to eat, I planted. And the same with the garden. I grew everything that we ate that was growable in that area, which everything grew in Santa Barbara. You had no problem with that. And then what happened with that red wagon? Oh, the red wagon, sorry. Yes, I guess I tried. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, at Christmas, and how old was he? Did how did he, I can't remember for sure. Seven. Yeah, he I said like six or seven. Somewhere. So, yeah, something like that. Um, he asked for a red wagon, and um, what was we didn't realize why. But anyway, he used to take uh, my um, all my extra vegetables, and he would take them uh, and stand up front because we had a little uh, sort of a, a cul-de-sac. It was almost like a U and very, very quiet, hardly any traffic or anything. So he would set out there with his vegetables that I, you know, I would pick them and put a price on them, you know. And uh, at that time, I grew those big, long English cucumbers that you can buy now, but you could not buy then because I, I grew everything from seed, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I would Berkey seed catalog, you know, it was a big thing in my house. So anyway, um, he loved to help me a little bit in the garden. You know, I would make him weed if he was going to you know, be able to sell the vegetables. So he didn't like the weeding too much, but he loved to sell the vegetables. And so anyway, he would sell his vegetables out there. And uh, this Christmas, he decided that um, he wanted to start his own business. So and when we when he got the red wagon, we had, had no idea why he wanted the red wagon. But uh, of course, we put it together and he got up in the morning and that's all he could see was his red wagon. You know, nothing else mattered. You know, on the Christmas, under the Christmas tree. 
And I said, so Michael, what do you want to do with your red wagon? He said, well, you know, mom, all these old people over at Valverde, it was across the creek bed because we were on a creek bed. And the other side was, uh, it was a teacher's retirement community. And they're, of course, all elderly people. And they love to get up and walk. And they love to walk over. It was a little bridge over the creek. And then they would walk down my street. And Michael would be there, of course, waiting for him. And he says, you know, Mom, some of those old ladies don't do very good walking. So he said, I thought I'd take to the, the fruits and vegetables to them, you know. And he said, that way I could sell more and they wouldn't have to do all that walking. So I said, ooh, okay. So I'd, I'd load up his with the prices on there, you know, and he would go off with his little red wagon. Of course, he knew everybody. I mean, anybody that came down the street, he would say, oh, so you're Michael's mom. I was never Muriel or anything. I was always Michael's mom. <laughs> Everybody did. <laughs> and then uh, when there was uh, quite a bit of money collected, what did he do with that? Money? Well, he had his money and he could do whatever he wanted with it. And one of the things he did is that uh, he wanted me to go out to the nursery with him. And, and this was, we just, you know, we were only in there like five years or something. So I was planting trees as I had a little bit of extra money, you know, which wasn't, you know, you've got a couple of kids and you, you know, you, you got one family, one person in the family working, you know, even back then it was a little bit tight. So I would, uh, every year I'd maybe plant another tree. So he went with me to the nursery and he said, I think, I think we should buy an orange tree. Um, so we, he bought an orange tree for me at the time thinking, hmm, I could add oranges to my red, little red wagon, you know. So, and earn more money. <laughs> yeah, very, very smart. Oh, yeah. So later, now they are growing up, and was there more trouble? Or how, how was it like with Michael and Jennifer? You have also ex like explained and shared like how different like personalities oh, they totally, have. Oh, totally, yeah, totally yeah. different. They different had their things. own set. Yeah, yeah. They, they were three years apart. And um, they, they were just a week apart in their birthdays. Uh, one was 16, the other was 20, uh, 23, so it was just a week apart. So I always had a birthday party, and when they were little, of course, it was on my patio because I had a huge, big piece of property and a huge, big patio. So, and then as they got older, we went to a park, and uh, they, Michael would have his 12 friends, whoever he wanted, and Jennifer would have her 12 friends, whoever she wanted. And we would have some older uh, things for the older kids, but they all like pinatas. So we would have two pinatas, one for the little ones and one for the old ones. So they were happy that way. And two cakes, of course. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it was always yeah. fun. And so one of the things you shared just yesterday as I was uh, doing this avocado cake in your kitchen. <laughs> so you told about Michael's, like when he was little, he actually was kind of like really helping you in the kitchen. Oh, he always, yeah, he always loved the kitchen and um, had a little his, it, Well, his dad was a manager, and we were always hosting parties for big time people. I mean, we would have like the um, Philippe de Rothschild, who was a count in back in France, and his wine was one of the most famous wines at that time. So he and his wife had spent their honeymoon at the Biltmore. And that was many years prior to that. But every year he would come and he would have the same cabin at the Biltmore with his wife. And so he would bring his wine and we'd have a big party. And we had parties like that all the time. 
that was just one example the people that had the parties you know and so anyway um i was supposed to always be you know um, co co-host type thing michael was always and um when i was going out we had a babysitter coming of course and michael would want to be cooking his own special dishes he had um chicken chicken in a what's it called oh pigs in a blanket you know that was a a, a hot dog enrolled in a bun and then he had uh what was it what was the other um oh um hens in the nest and that was a piece of toast with a hole cut out and you put the egg in, in the middle you know and of course macaroni and cheese you know he had his own favorite things that he liked to make and while I was getting dressed, my bedroom was uh, it was just a two one story at that time. So my bedroom was right kind of next to the kitchen, across the hallway. And so I kept an eye on him, and he'd be up at the stove cooking. But he was small enough that he needed a little stool. As a matter of fact, I still have that stool in the garage. Wow. And in one of these years, if you ever <laughs> get a place where you're not going to be moving, you can take the little stool. Yeah. Well, it would be like a treasure yeah treasure yeah and then jennifer was uh, interested in other things more like she was interested in just quiet reading and uh, the door was always swinging the phone was always ringing with michael it was always you know uh, and you never even knew jennifer was in the house you know it was mm. just that so way different yeah totally totally mm. different yeah so cool and then um you actually um had lots of different moves with because your husband had different jobs yeah were coming. well when odell the owner of um, the biltmore died um then um, marriott bought it and uh, he was shipped across the country to dallas to this um, hotel that was primarily a business hotel and um it, it wasn't a good mood for him you know because because he he was used to a little boutique hotel and all the important people you know he had um, royalty and he had all the, the anybody that came to santa barbara from uh, like la the movie stars they all stayed at the biltmore because that was where you stayed in santa barbara if you had the money you could afford it you know and so he was used to that kind of clientele and it was very hard for him because he was getting um, merchants from all over that were coming to the big mart in Dallas. And the big mart was right next to where his hotel was. So he was dealing with totally different clientele. So he was not very happy there. So after three years, he had found a job. And um, then we went to uh, Clearwater, Florida. And he was um, rebuilding, uh, gutting and redoing um, a, a beautiful uh, hotel on the beach in Clearwater. And um, he he did a fabulous job. And the man that had just, he had just recently bought the hotel and had advertised for somebody to rebuild it for him, you know, make, you know used to doing high, high-end hotels. So he, um, he did good, you know, so he, he made this place a really beautiful place. It was right on the, the um, beach in Clearwater, Florida. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. And then um, there was Car a... Caribbean Gulf Hotel. Yeah. Caribbean. So there was a time um, 
was was that around the time when you decided to uh, divorce with each other with Doug or that was later? No, it was later. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was later. And then you moved back to California. Then, yeah, he he um he he, he hit the forties, crazy forties, and, and he decided he wanted to be free to do his own thing. So and I then, said, "That's fine. Just yeah. get when, me back. Get me back to California, and you can have all the freedom you want in the world." So that's what we did. Yeah, and then what happened? I went back to nursing. Yeah. And uh, tell me a little more about that uh, job because you were traveling all all over, right? What Eventually, did, yeah. yeah. What did it entail, like that kind well, of? Well, that was kind of the last nursing job that I did, and uh, that one I was actually. Um, it was it was um, you know it was it was definitely different, but. That one I was I was working for this doctor, but that was. Are you talking about the one where I was doing the uh, uh, drug testing? Yeah, for the FDA. Traveling. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I had to travel all over, mm -hmm. you know, to go to the meetings, mm -hmm. to attend the meetings where the doctors were being told about the new drug that was coming out, and my my doctor was uh, one of the um, they call it private investigators, you know, mm -hmm. for for the drugs. Mm -hmm. So we went to I I went as her spokesperson. Mm -hmm. Sometimes she went, sometimes she didn't, but mm -hmm. yeah. So what did you like about nursing as a profession? Uh, there was so much I loved about nursing, but uh, the reason I ended up in a job where I did is you get burned out mm -hmm. because um, they give you too many patients and uh, you only have eight hours to do everything. And uh, you, there's never enough time to do all that you want to do for the patients. So you end up um, so totally exhausted mentally and physically at the end of the day that after a while you just don't want to do it because you feel like you're not doing justice for those patients and you don't have the feeling um, that you know you, you went into it to help people and all of a sudden you know it, you're not helping them you're just you know you're going from one to another and uh, you can't really give them the, the love and the care, I that that's what I felt. I couldn't, you know, if they were crying and, and in pain, I could soothe them and give them a pill, but I couldn't really stop and talk to them and see what was going on, you know. I could report it to the doctor and, you know, but you didn't have, to me, it was the feeling that, you know, nursing had changed and I wasn't able to do the nursing anymore. Uh, it was It was just too much stress and and not enough pleasure, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, nursing is always hard work, but in the beginning, when I first started mm -hmm. nursing um, in the 60s, it mm -hmm. wasn't like that. You know, you you had more time. Of course, I was in a private hospital uh, run by the nuns, and it was a whole different thing. But then I ended up in a bigger hospital, and the bottom line was what was important. And, you know, the more patients you could take care of during the day, it didn't matter whether or not... Um, that you died or the patient died, it seemed like, you know. But mm -hmm. So I, I got tired of it. And so I was looking around for another job. And so when I, I, I came across this job, I said, uh, lab, uh, lab nurse. And I was, pic I was picturing a, a, a little man, you know, gray hair with a lab coat. And when I came to the interview, it was, um, 40 she wasn't even 40 she was in her late 30s i guess early 40s maybe 
um, that was doing the research and I was totally blown away. Mm-hmm. And because I had a really good um, reputation, I had a good, you know, I had, I, all my jobs were nothing but uh, good references. So um, she just, um, she hired me on the spot. She said, when can you start? And I said, well, I, mean, I just got here. She said, how about tomorrow? So that was it. Yeah, very cool. And I, I worked there until I was forced to retire early because my husband had Alzheimer's. But mm-hmm. I was in my 60s, but I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of traveling. Yeah, and can you say some words about the, you know, the experience of having a loved one who had Alzheimer's? Because I know so many people may also, maybe they go through it, and you, you actually also stepped it up afterwards you were part of the support group so you know a lot about this this yeah i had a son that bullied me into going to support group i thought i could do it all because i was a nurse you know nurses can do everything you know and um he kept sending me all this stuff in the mail Mm -hmm. i don't remember even where he was living at the time but anyway he kept sending me all this stuff and then he would call and say mom did you go yet mom did you go yet so um I finally went, you know, to support group just to shut him up, mm-hmm. keep him quiet. You know, he's persistent, which you probably know. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, it's a it's a difficult experience. It, it saved my life. Yeah. I, I was, you know, eight and a half years dealing with him, and for the last eighteen months, I I had to put him in a nursing home because mm-hmm. he was it was twenty four seven, and he was. He, he was not a good patient. He was very difficult, mm-hmm. and he would be very nasty at times. What would you say, like a tip for people who are maybe in the midst of something like this? Um, what's like maybe one or two or three things what they should like pay attention? The most important thing is to find a support group. And mm-hmm. if you don't have a good support group, uh, you can go online and find out, you know, where mm-hmm. and most most places have some kind of support group although ours was really exceptional we had uh, 50 to 60 um, caregivers and they would come every Thursday you know for an hour and we would uh, try to let them know that number one was them not their husband or their wife or their mother or their father but them first and, and my, to take care of themselves yeah, and because my so favorite many thing yes yeah. my favorite thing was saying you know when you're on the airplane and the, and the pilot says put your own mask on first he means that if you pass out you can't help anybody mm-hmm. you know so um I, that was my thing you know put your put your own mask on first take care of yourself first and then the other thing was get all your ducks in a row because um, I was hearing, you know, people say, well, their loved one died and they didn't have, you know, this wasn't signed and that wasn't signed. They were having to go through all this thing, you know, uh, with, um, you know, uh, estates and, and everything. I mean, where they didn't take care of anything because their husband was taking care of it or the wife was taking care of it and the husband didn't have a clue. So I would always say, to, you know, get your ducks in a row and, and take care of, you know, take care of yourself. And uh, sure, take care of your husband, but first take care of yourself so you can take care of your husband or your whatever. Mm, Yeah, very good tips. So I always have wondered, you know, um, I have traveled the world and I have been in so many relationships. And when I met Michael, your son, I was so blown away by his, you know, gentleman-like, polite, you know, approach and 
I honestly had never ever experienced anything like this and the kindness and you know the the proper care like he really cares about people and not only people as you know cats and dogs and like yeah. he would like bring all of yeah. them home yeah, everyone yeah. every sick bird every sick cat yeah. every stray cat but every dog. like what do you think is this like um the way people are raised up and the environment or it's just the character what do you think influences that well i think part of it's character um because you have to have that kind of a heart to have mm -hmm. a nurse first of all yeah. you know and michael uh is quite a bit like me in in his d you know he got a lot of my dna mm -hmm. some of it good some of it bad a lot of it bad but I mean, he got some good things too you know? <laughs> but anyway um the bullheadedness he got was i could have not given him that it would be, <laughs> you would be better off but <laughs> yeah. it's really cool i think that uh persistence, but you're a strong person too. yeah persistence has actually been a really good thing you know it's it's good yeah, most of sometimes, the time yeah most of the time yeah sometimes it's but also i wonder like there must have been also so much of like you know decency or like kind of that politeness what you and oh, also that like yeah. you know uh transmitted like if you asked for something and there was not pleased on the end of it Nobody even paid attention to you. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't say thank you, you took it back. Yeah, that's a hardcore way of teaching. And, uh, and if you weren't kind, mm -mm. Yeah. that was, you opened doors, mm -hmm. you respected your elders, you say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Mm -hmm. All my friends, they were uncles and aunts. Mm -hmm. There was no Bob or, or Joe or, mm -hmm. you know, Mary or whatever. It was Aunt Mary, Uncle Joe. You know, I mean, all of my close friends were family mm -hmm. and we had no family there, mm -hmm. not real family, but they were all family. And so Michael and Jennifer both learned respect your elders, respect people's property. Um, if their kids came and all the kids always came to my house to you know, to play, always, um, I always knew where they were and I sometimes had to bust, you know, I had a big old station wagon and so sometimes in the rain and whatnot I was putting their bikes in the back and taking them home because their parents didn't seem to know or care where they were but you know I I'm so my place was uh, the place where everybody knew oh they're okay they're up near else you know mm -hmm. <laughs> so but uh, but there was one rule and if your friends destroy or break the rules or something you're responsible not them I don't go to them or their mother. Mm -hmm. You will pay for it. How you get it from them is up to you. Mm -hmm. In other words, it's your responsibility to treat other people's property and, mm -hmm. and tell your friends, you know, mm -hmm. I better take I better not do that or my mom or my dad would kill me type mm -hmm. thing, you know. Mm -hmm. And and also the opening doors, you know, his father wasn't that kind of gentleman because he never got it at home. His father was not mm -hmm. the best father in the world. His mother was a wonderful lady, but she didn't she didn't have too much help, you know, in raising kids with love. Because mm -hmm. he was not he was not love. Okay. Um, so, you know, I wanted to make sure that my children and I actually didn't want him in my house after the first time he visited. And uh, and Doug stood by me, because uh, he he just was not a good example. Mm -hmm. You know, she was a wonderful lady, but grandpa was not. 
You just have to let people know what's acceptable and not acceptable uh, when they're growing up, when they're little. It's just it's just like if you have a dog and you don't train them and they jump all over people and you know mess all over other people's properties and everything. That's not a good thing. Well, you know, it's not a good thing to let your kids destroy mm -hmm. other people's properties either. You know. Mm -hmm. And one of the amazing things which I like enjoyed from the beginning is when you walk um, outside on the sidewalk. You know, mm -hmm. Michael is always Man on the is right always side. Always on the outside. And why is that? Well, if a car comes by and, and hits somebody, mm -hmm. it's going to be the man that gets hit. Mm -hmm. So he's protecting the lady. Yeah, and, and that it's, goes so, it's so automatic. Like now, I already, like, it's in me yeah. as well. And to open the door, yeah. to, you yeah. know, the so, car door. Yeah, so um, when people see that in Estonia, especially because so many people haven't got that, like, background, so they're like, oh, my God, what is this? So <laughs> it's, it's crazy guy. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, yeah, one of the times, actually, I actually started to teach my son, you know, all of those things because his dad is not also having that kind of, you know, raising up. So, yeah. yeah. So it's like really interesting how we can influence oh, yeah. generation by generation. And if we don't do that, then it, the link gets like bro broken yeah. and yeah. then, yeah, people are like all over. Yes. Unfortunately, um, Jennifer and Walter, her husband, that died, one, my wonderful other son, that um, went to heaven way before his time at age 50, as you know, um, he was so good with the kids, you know, they would ask him something and he would say, what did your mom tell you? He didn't have a clue. They didn't know he didn't know, mm. you know. <laughs> <laughs> and they better tell the truth or else. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they were going to lose their most precious uh, things, which would mm -hmm. be either the phone or the, the TV uh, or whatever, you yeah. know, whatever was most precious for them. Mm -hmm. They lost it. Yeah. yeah. That's a very smart parent. Yeah. Yeah. And they had to do their chores like Michael did, you know. Mm -hmm. he, if he wanted to sell his vegetables, he had to do his chores. But I did not ever mention, you know, him buying I, I mean, I was blown away when he wanted to buy that fruit tree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was. So that's like a um, different mindset. Yeah. In a way, yeah, cultivated. Yeah. Way. And and uh, some of it was because of my my love and my upbringing, but a lot of it was in his DNA when he was born. Mm -hmm. You know, because like I said, he. That's the way I grew up. You know, I grew up in a very loving, caring family. And everybody took care of everybody. You know, if you wanted something done, um, you asked your neighbors and they helped you. And if they needed something, you went and helped them. Type. I mean, it was that. And I think that at that time, you know, uh, the country a, was yeah, like that. Everywhere. everywhere. Like even in yeah. Estonia, yeah. it was the same. Like, you yeah. know, relatives came together. Yeah. We so, took care of properties yeah. or places. And, if somebody yeah. was sick, somebody made yeah. soup and took it over. You know, yeah. it, you see it a little bit now, but not so much. Yeah. It is kind of... So can you say, are you proud of your son right now? Am I proud of my son right now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trick question. <laughs> yeah. It couldn't be more crazy. It couldn't be more crazy question. Of course, I'm proud of my son. There were times, though, when I loved him, but I didn't like him. And Jennifer and I would both say, oh, Michael, oh, you know. 
because yeah. he was so naughty. Well, it wasn't just noisy. He was um, naughty. Naughty. Yeah. yeah. He was doing things that he, he shouldn't have been doing. Way. Yeah. Yeah. His way. Yeah. yeah. And at the time, he had some friends that were influential in his life, and it wasn't a good influence. But I, I will say that didn't happen until his father left us, mm-hmm. and he it, it kind of. The boy was just ready to cut the, the strings from from um, mom's apron, as mm-hmm. they say, you know, mm-hmm. and be on his own. And there was no dad there to guide him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then he, he found be, friends. Yeah, had to be a little rebellious. So. Well, his friends that he went towards at that point were having the same problems as he mm-hmm. was. He, You know, the good friends that like had in Santa Barbara were in Santa Barbara. And he was, you know, in Florida. So he went to the kind of friends that would understand where he was. And so, you know, that, that they couldn't really guide him. My, my mother yeah. used to say birds of a feather flock together. So you don't see, you know, you don't see hawks in with ramens. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't fly together, mm-hmm. you know. So you, you pick your friends and that pretty much determines what, you're going, what your character is going to be and how you're going to act. And for a while, he was not a very nice person. I still loved him, and Jennifer still loved him, but we really didn't care to have him around that much. And it wasn't too long, fortunately, because I always loved to have him around. And he was so good. He was never, he never had a terrible two. Like a lot of people say, oh, everyone's your terrible two. I would say, what's a terrible two? Neither one of my kids went to a terrible two. You know, I just, I disciplined them. You know, I, I didn't say, wait till your father comes home. You know, I did it. Yeah. And I, I never, ever hit them. If they needed it, I spanked them or I sent them to their room. And for Jennifer, that was great. She loved her room. But for <laughs> Michael, it was, oh, God, it was horrible. You know, yeah. didn't let him his friends come over. <gasps> oh. yeah. So you just have to know you know, what to do to, to make an impact. Yeah. The one time I, I remember ever spanking them was because they did something that was dangerous. Mm-hmm. And I just just went, wow, you know, on the butt. But never, I never hit my kids. Never hit my kids. I spanked them on the bottom. And I used to say, that's why God put all that nice, fluffy stuff on the back. You know, so you could spank them and not hurt them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, like, the humor, you know, kind of like what Michael has. And when we got together first, I couldn't get it. So <laughs> it took me almost a year. And now I now I get it. So yeah. And we, we fight all the time. We argue, you know. Yeah. You're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. Or he'll say it. Yeah. But, you know, not me. Yeah. We, we do that all the time. And people yeah. kind of look at us. And then we'll start laughing, you know. Yeah. They just really don't, good. Yeah, they don't know what to make of it. You know? yeah. Crazy people. Yeah. And I'm so grateful to you because you have welcomed me into your family with open arms. And I really feel so much love and aloha from you and from the whole family. So uh, you were you. a blessing for us. We thank were you. such a blessing. You know, God knew that Michael needed somebody like you and deserved somebody like you that really appreciated all the things that he had to offer. Because he did have a lot to offer, and sometimes they were not appreciated. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. As more more times as not, um, a good man is not appreciated. 
Yeah. It takes a good woman to see, and probably a woman that has not been appreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my case. You know. Yeah. Sometimes it just, you know, or maybe somebody that had somebody that was really good and knew how good it was, so they recognized it. But most of the time it's because they didn't have it, and they realized that they were missing something, and when they saw it, they mm-hmm. fortunately realized that, yes. That's it. And I, yeah. I would like that. Yeah. yeah. And you are also like a super grandmother. Like when I come here during Christmas time, it's like how many types of cookies you do and like everything you do and gifts and so on. Yeah. How many grandkids you have now? Have you counted? How many what? Grandkids. Grandkids? Are you talking with just grandkids or grand- great-grandkids too? Yeah, like all Oh, all together? Because, mm. you know, I have two families. Yeah. I took in yeah. Larry. He was yeah. a foster son when we just moved into our new home. Mm-hmm. And Doug's, um, the kid's dad was actually instrumental in my taking him. I was pregnant with Jennifer and we just moved into this house. And we had put everything, every penny, everything into this house that we had. I mean, we didn't have any extra money to take in a teenage kid. Mm-hmm. especially one just out of juvenile that was going to go into juvenile hall. Mm-hmm. He had been in 15 different foster homes at 15 years. And, um, you know, I figured he's he's going to be trouble. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm pregnant with my second child. And we, as the old saying goes, we had a pot to pee in and we had a window to throw a pot of investment <laughs> in. <laughs> so anyway, long story short, um, I, I said, it was somebody, a relative that told me about this, this kid that was going to have to go to juvenile hall because they ran out of homes for him. And I could see why, because he was, you know, uh, he was a holy terror. Mm-hmm. And uh, although he was not mean, he was full of mischief, Larry, you know. Mm-hmm. And at 15, he had had some terrible foster homes, people that take kids in just to, to, for the money. You know, they don't care about the kids. And you didn't get that much money. You you had enough to feed them and clothe them if you were really careful with your money. Mm-hmm. But that was it. But these people would take the money and the kids would go without food and clothing, you know, and really treat it bad. You know, the things that he had happened to him was just unbelievable. And so he had a very warped uh, feeling. And I, I when Doug said, well, let's take him in, you know, because he had his dad was was terrible father and he said uh, I'd like some kid to have a better home than I did you know and so I I went to bed and I said no but you're crazy you know you're crazy I you know I don't you know teenage kids that you know ready for juvenile hall in my house with you know almost three-year-old but as it happens I went to bed and um I laid awake and I thought oh you know I'm grateful you know thing and by the time morning came around, I, I said to Doug, okay, let's, we'll try it. And uh, so Doug came home from work from the building where he drove home on his uh, lunchtime. And we met the, the kid and we sat, we had this big wooden bench uh, on our patio and we sat there. And um, everything I thought would turn the kid off, I told him, you know, you're going to follow my rules. I'm, I run this house, you don't. And if I say be home at a certain time, you know, you be home. And if you you cuss or you disrespect me, you know, the door is going to hit your butt on the way out. 
and it's not going to be reopened, you know, type thing. So I tried to scare him, in other words. And everything I said, he said, okay, okay, okay. Finally, I ran out of scare tactic. (laughs) Did it work? Yeah. Yeah. He was with us for quite a few years until Mm -hmm. they decided to go into the service. Mm -hmm. And so how many grandkids and great-grandkids? Well, he gave me two. And then Lee had another one after, Mm -hmm. but his wife, you Mm -hmm. know, that he divorced. Uh, So there was three there. And Sarah, his oldest, gave me three. So I have three grandkids there. And now Michael had um, an Mm -hmm. out-of-marriage situation with a lady. And that young man, I never got to know because the father, the um, person that she was living with didn't want Michael in the ch- mm-hmm. and her, the father also didn't want Michael in his mm-hmm. life. So I didn't get to know my grandson until mm-hmm. he was grown up. Uh, so he now has three kids. So mm-hmm. how many are you counting? Yeah, no. <laughs> okay. And then um, I Michael have, has another son. And then, yeah, so that was, mm-hmm. you know, a son and three more kids. Yeah. Okay. And, the, and so, um, and then, um, uh, oh, and then Jennifer, of course, had mm-hmm. two. So anyway. Yeah. And in a way, I, I have a son too. So Yeah, you have a son. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So it's like quite a big family. Yeah. Yeah. So what what is it like maybe to finish it up in a nice note um what do you like about being a grandmother well i I don't think there's anything not to like i mean at the end of the day uh, if they've worn you to a frazzle which they used to and because i had them every saturday just to give their mom and dad a little bit of rest and uh you know i I was older i was a young grandma you know Mm -hmm. um because i was 28 when i got married you know and so I would say, uh, you know, it's it was good to be able to send them home. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it was also it was also good that um, they were taught manners and mm-hmm. how to respect the grandma, mm-hmm. because uh, if God forbid if uh, their dad or their mom, you know, heard them be disrespectful or not mm-hmm. being good, you know. Yeah, and then of course all the good yummy stuff you cooked and baked. And yeah, and and Gracie liked to when she was younger. She liked to come over and bake cookies with me. And I always baked about twelve, fifteen kinds of cookies every year. And um, in the beginning, when I married my second husband, he said, "Why are you baking cookies? Why don't you just go buy them?" And I about killed him. Buy <laughs> cookies? Are you kidding me? And all these uh, Christmas cookies, they're like different recipes and different, like you have like Danish cookies and then you have the, what's the one, the millionaire. Yeah, millionaire. Yeah. yeah, and then. Jennifer's favorite. They are all so good. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but I make them to give away and, and yeah. uh, three days or four days after Christmas, I don't have any cookies left in my house. Yeah. Maybe a few in the freezer. For yeah. some of these stuff, and it smells probably good for days, right? Yeah, yeah. But I cook for days. Yeah, but it's fun. So you are a um, woman with so much, like you know, knowledge and wisdom. What would you say, maybe some words of wisdom for people when they are like you know young and starting out their lives? What would you suggest them? Something. Well, I think the most have? important thing, of course, is uh, love and discipline in equal amounts mm-hmm. it's no good if you have too much discipline and no love and it's no good if you have too much love because um tough love is needed at times 
tough love is very important when you have kids as they, you know, at all stages. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you said, this is my rules and this is my house and you're going to do it my way type thing. You know, mm-hmm. there's no if, buts, or maybes, you know, or I'll wait, wait till your father comes home. That's not a good thing because then uh, your father is, is now the bad guy mm-hmm. and you're the pushover, mm-hmm. you know. So you have to let them respect you and respect their dad. Mm-hmm. And when he comes home, he's not coming into a battleground. You know, he's coming to a peaceful evening, you know, where he's the important person. And, and love, love is so important and respect, mm-hmm. you know. And you have to respect the kids um, as being individuals. You want them to grow up to be the best person that they can be. And they're not going to do it unless you give them lots of love and lots of discipline. One yeah. without the other is no good. And sometimes the spanks on that. Sometimes a hand on the yeah. bottom, if it's there's, there's, it's not going to kill their ego. It's mm-hmm. not going to fracture a little a delicate something or other, like Spock. Mm-hmm. You know, and then your Spock ended up, you know, being a real his son. Ended up all kinds mm-hmm. of trouble and he was the one that was when, when my kids were little he was just you know everybody was, was going by Spock and I think, I'm going by my mother yeah and one one of the things I also think as I have observed you have also traveled a lot like you know you've done lots of different trips and stuff and that's also such a enriching experience like if people have possibilities that's probably also a good thing to have in life I, I think traveling when you're younger don't wait, uh, you know, to retire because mm-hmm. so many friends that I know waited too long and then they they became ill and couldn't travel. And so I, I think I, I was so blessed that I got to travel as much as I did. And I think uh, spend, make time for your family. Don't let the job be the most important thing. In other words, you know, be there for your family on, on okay very very important occasions which wasn't always the case for me um you know all the time uh so then you have to be husband and wife you know um you need to be there for your kids you know if they if they want to be in scouts or they want to skate or do gymnastics or whatever you need to be there for them you need to make time for them uh you need to be not only a good breadwinner but you also have to have um time for your kids and and make time for your parents and and uh, teach them teach your kids uh, respect your parents and you know and if I had if I had to do it all over again I would have somehow I don't know how because I I lived far away from my parents most of my life because I left home very young but uh, so I had my mom come to visit me when I could you know and that was wonderful but if I hadn't been able to do that um, I wouldn't have seen her very much if she hadn't been willing to travel to come to see me. Uh, but I, so my kids got to know her a little bit, but not not as much as I would have liked because she died, you know, before they were. We we did make a couple of visits home, but back in those days it was very expensive to travel, and uh, very hard to travel, you know, long distance, mm-hmm. which is not as much. So now, I mean, now it's easier. Mm-hmm. But definitely should have some time for your for your parents and for your family, for your kids. Mm-hmm. And and the the bottom line is 
it's good. I mean, it's good if you have a nice house and a nice car and everything, but your kids are not going to remember that. They're going to remember the good times that you took to go camping with them or whatever. You know, cookies. Cook or made the cookies. Or you got, you know, soaking wet in a, a Girl Scout, uh, you know, a tent that had holes in it and you, you had to go find a dryer in the middle of the night. You know, these are things. <laughs> Funny experiences yeah. brings you laugh even like so many years later. Yeah, yeah. yeah quality time, it's the biggest gift you can give. And and I love the time that, that you know the Saturdays that I had with my grandkids. Although I'm I'm not a person that's really good doing kid stuff. You know, I took them pretty much where Jennifer would tell me they would like to go. You know, I said. What do you think I can do with them today? You know, she would give me hints because she knew I, I grew up, you know, on a farm and we, I mean, we, we made our own fun. Mm-hmm. I, my fun was riding the horse bareback when nobody was watching or when the horse wasn't working. You know, we're riding up on top of the hay wagon, and, you know, chasing the, the chickens around or trying to, trying to catch a chicken for my dad for dinner the next day. <laughs> I mean, that was, you know, yeah, it was totally different. Yeah, very times. You know, but it was a wonderful life. And I, I used I always say to people, you know, the most dangerous thing you could you could do when I was growing up, there was there was no there was no such thing as um you know, locking your doors or anything mm-hmm. like that. I mean, uh, the most dangerous thing you could do is walk off a cliff if you were if you weren't stupid. You know, you would be watching where you're going, but if you weren't, you walk off a cliff, you know, you'd get hurt. But other than that, there was nothing to hurt you. There was there was no drugs, there wasn't, you know. So I think if you can find a place that's safe to bring up kids, and that's what Santa Barbara gave me. Mm-hmm. Back then, it was a wonderful place. There was no, absolutely, I don't think, I, I don't even remember having a homicide in all the years I lived there. And that was, you know, almost 30 years. I mean, it was that kind of little town. It's not now, you know. Mm-hmm. It's polluted with people coming in that shouldn't be coming in. But but it's it's so important, I think, to have your have that concern for your kids. Now, how much money you can give them? How many toys you can give them? You know, I mean, that's that they're not going to remember that. You know, yeah. that's the time is the one of the most precious gifts. It is. It is yeah. time and love. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, they will remember that. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, and um, thank you for being part of our family. Yeah, thank you for sharing all these stories. It's so exciting to be (laughs) part of capturing it, and uh, you're always such an amazing character. I like to um, listen to your stories, and also, um, especially, I like when you are laughing because your laugh is so special. So, many more laughs and many more happy years. Thank you, and many more happy visits from you too. Yes, I know you're going farther away, and that's not my favorite thing to think about. But yeah, uh, hopefully, yeah. I'll you know won't be too too long. Yeah, and then soon we maybe get you live with us. So that would be nice. Yeah, I understand you're going to a warm climate, right? Yes. Yeah, I might just do that. <laughs> yeah. So I think I mentioned too. I don't know if you were there or not. But, um, Michael and I were kidding around. I said, you know, I, he said something about living long. I said, heck, I don't want to live old. I'm going to run out of my money and I'll be sleeping under the the bridge or something, you know. And he said, oh, I don't think you have to worry about that. And I said, I'm not going to live with you. And he said, No, Mom, 
I wasn't insinuating that you would live with me. I don't think I would want you to live with me. I said, good, that makes two of us. <laughs> I, I tell you what, when you're building a house, I'll give you some money towards Casita, and you can buy a little Casita for me. Not too far away, not too close, but not too far. Yeah, sounds like a plan. <laughs> In a warm climate. Yeah, that's, that's, um, I like it too. Yeah. Okay, thank you so thank much. You. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. And um, for everyone, um, this was a really wonderful meeting and um, I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, if you did, please let us know. And many more amazing, treasureful moments for each one of you. Thank you for watching. And uh, till the next time, be aloha. Mahalo. Mm -hmm.